0: Starting in Jude 1, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by the God, by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which is once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So certainly here we think about what Jude's warning these Christians about, that he wanted to write to them just about salvation. He wanted to write them about the good news, but there were some things going on that prevented him from doing this, kind of stopping short of that because he knew there were some pretty important things they need to be thinking about. And so he talks about that they need to earnestly contend for the faith and that this faith was once delivered, but also that certain men had crept in unawares. So we think about problems that the church occasionally has with false teachers. In Jude's case, he's talking about people who have come from within and something we certainly need to be concerned about, not the happiest topic to think about, not the most encouraging and inspiring was something that Jude knew was very important and he took the time to write about it. As far as contending for the faith, I was thinking about Romans 10, 17, which Mark already mentioned. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That Part of it is contending for the word of God, contending for the Lord's church. And we probably all experienced experience different times in the past. We may have had to do this or we've heard of people who had to do this and it's something we certainly need to be ready to do and willing to do. I was also given first Timothy six and twelve, Paul writing to Timothy, certainly understanding that Timothy is going to be having or needing to contend for the faith. And in first Timothy six and twelve, Paul wrote, Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. And so it's this idea of fighting the good fight of faith. And so we're going to think about these for a few minutes this afternoon. These types of ideas Maybe a somewhat unpleasant subject. And as Jude had mentioned, sometimes these things happen within the church. And sometimes these things grow from within congregations. Also, we need to realize that it seems that Jude's writing to everybody. He's not just writing to the leadership in congregations. He's not writing to elders, to deacons, to evangelists. He's writing to everyone. Of course in paul 's case he 's writing to Timothy the Evangelist, but it still seems that 's something we all need to be concerned with and something we can all do something about, although it 's kind of easy to sit back and think that somebody else might take care of it, somebody else could handle the problems. we all need to be ready for it. It also made me think of the Bereans in Acts seventeen and eleven. Remember that Luke wrote about them that they were more noble because they studied the Word of God, they studied the scriptures, they made sure that what people were telling them was the truth, and something that certainly we should be able to do ourselves, and we'd better be ready to do ourselves. It also made me think of Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11, Ephesians 4 and 11, it gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the sleight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, Maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And throughout this passage, Paul keeps making the point that we're all involved with this. Verse 13: Till we all come in the unity of the faith. 14: That we henceforth be no more children. And it seems that part of verse 14 describes a lot of the world around us being carried off with all kinds of teachings, anything that comes up. Somebody seems to be willing to follow it. A lot of the world doesn't seem very concerned about what God's word says, but they are much like those people in Athens that were just sitting and waiting for something new to be told to them. It also made me think of Hebrews 5 and 12, when the author of Hebrews was wanting to speak about Melchizedek, but he knew that they weren't ready for it, that they needed milk. Well, we need to be beyond that, and we need to be ready for these types of things to be able to contend for the faith. You're part of the way that God designed the church and the Lord designed the church, Jesus, was having autonomous congregations, which seems to help quite a bit in contending for the faith. Over the years, I've known a number of people, and we've had a few members at Gardner who came from other Church of Christ organizations that had close ties with either colleges or some other connection. And those people were well, often coming to me and mentioning some big problem that was kind of going through all those groups and what were we going to do about it, and I told him we've never really had to do anything about those things because those things tend not to bother us. We don't have connections to those man-made institutions. But if you've ever experienced that or known people, it's amazing how those things just fly through, cause all kinds of trouble, a lot of disruptions. Well, we know that God didn't design the church to have that hierarchy, any kind of physical hierarchy outside of the congregations. Part of that seems to be to kind of help, not so much isolate us, but to help us not have to deal with those kind of things that just fly through Lots of groups. Unfortunately, we haven't had too many things over the years that would go through the brotherhood quite like that. Now, in a few minutes, we'll talk about a number of things that have gone through over the years. But it seems that there is a reason, well, there's probably quite a few reasons, why the church was designed as it was. That we answer to ourselves, we have the eldership, we have deacons, we may have evangelists with oversight over smart congregations, but we keep things kind of to ourselves, and we're supposed to kind of try to handle it with ourselves as much as possible too. But certainly there have been times when this contending for the faith went beyond the bounds of the congregation. It did go across the brotherhood. But even on a personal level, we need to contend for that faith. But it does seem that we're fortunate to kind of have this framework, of course, so we don't have to worry so much as some other groups do when these things just tear huge you know, numbers of people apart because of these false teachings. Now, I want to look in the past and a couple of examples of things that have affected the church, and I don't want to spend too much time with this because this wasn't my complete topic. And I like history, so I can actually spend an awful lot of time talking about this, but I'm going to try to limit it. Jude warned us about these false teachers that come from within the body of Christ, and there have been a number of them in the past, and I'm not going to list off more than maybe one name. Yeah, I'll stick with one name. Because he tends to be the one most people would remember. And I I'd guess even by now, it's been long enough, it's been over 60 years, that most people wouldn't know who I was talking about. I wonder how many people have heard of Carl Ketcherside. I didn't hear about him too much until probably 25 years ago. I won't spend too much time talking about him. Well, I don't want to speak evil, but he could spend a lot of time talking about himself, but he's been dead for a while. But there are videos on YouTube where he... Was giving his life story, and it was supposed to be two hours, and there's 14 hours of it, and so it's kind of interesting. He was a prodigy, I guess you think, evangelist. He was preaching at the age of 12. He was extremely um, dynamic, charismatic, mesmerizing. Three things you're wishing I was right now, but he was. <laughs> he also uh, he, uh, he, knew it. That sounds like I'm speaking evil. I'm going to be careful how I referred to I was going to refer to him as Carl, but that sounds pretty... Um, I did not know him, so I'll just call him Ketcherside, I guess. I don't want to call him Brother Ketcherside. I don't want to call him Mr. Ketcherside. But anyway, he had... And I only bring him up because he was kind of the poster child for all of this in some ways. And if you don't know much about him, maybe don't listen that much to what I'm saying. I want you to go research him because there are some problems he had, to say the least. But um, anyway, he... He was kind of the golden boy. And within the brotherhood, he was very well received up until about uh, 56, 57, maybe sometime in there. And I bring this up because part of his teaching is something we're still dealing with today. We all hear about the ecumenicalism. We all hear about everybody should be unified. And his push in the 50s then was this idea he had that he claims God revealed to him in Ireland in 1951. But unity and diversity... And it, I bring it up because even though it's 60 years old, it's still pretty much what we keep hearing today. Maybe not so much even the Church of Christ, but throughout the world. Religious worlds into this type of thing. And he kept pushing this over and over again. So he pushed unity and diversity. Now that is kind of strange maybe, but he thought he, his job was to unify the brotherhood. And part of it goes back to some other things that I'll, well, I'll say strange ideas he may have had. He felt that he was carrying the mantle of Alexander and Thomas Campbell. A few of us may know some things about them. They're kind of credited for kind of the restoration movement as far as the Church of Christ is concerned, and even the Christian church. He thought for some reason he was carrying their mantle. He also felt that he was carrying the mantle of Daniel Summer. Some of you may have heard of him. Don't want to spend too much time on him either, but Carl was, well, I just said it, Mr. Ketcher's side was carrying all these things and he felt that that was part of his duty was to unify the brethren. Well, his idea of unity was unity and diversity. Some of the rest of us might have thought unity in the word of God would be nice or there are a number of things, but unifying on the things that we don't have in common is just kind of an odd way to, to be unified, but that's what he kept pushing for. I kept thinking if he had a Facebook page today, if he were still alive, he would have a lot of memes that we hear a lot of today and I'm not that familiar with memes, so if you want to say bumper stickers for my generation and older, this is what he would have had on bumper (laughs) stickers. Pretty much it's, I'm okay, you're okay, which actually is from another guy in 1969, and catcher's side was kind of ahead of his time. He also, um, one of his favorite things to say besides just unity and diversity is, wherever God has a child, I have a brother or sister, but he would never go to any detail on what that meant, and it kept sliding over the years until, well, pretty much at the end it meant pretty much anybody who might claim at all to have any kind of ties with um, any kind of Christian organization he would consider to be a child of God. And so he couldn't judge them because they maybe hadn't followed the same steps that we would believe he'd have to follow to be part of the body of Christ. There's also something I've seen lately um, in a meme on Facebook. The less you care, the happier you'll be. Have you seen that? Does that make any sense whatsoever? I mean, we know the world thinks that, but really, the less you care, the happier you'll be? So, you know, you start applying that to um, religion, and um, we're not going to be happy, I think, in the end, but it's interesting that people think those kind of things, and to some extent, that's kind of where he was going with a lot of this. Also, we have another meme we see quite a bit about, love everybody, let God sort them out, which, I mean, that's got some, you know, it's that love component that sounds very good to us, but we're told quite a few times throughout the New Testament that we need to use some judgment. There are some things we need to judge on, to judge by, or to judge people by their fruits. We need to be careful about that, but God expects that. So we just, we're not going to accept everyone the way Ketcherside did and then just let God decide later. Well, there are a lot of reasons I would mention him. I already mentioned this teaching is still very prevalent now. He made a lot of enemies in his life. Certainly, you can imagine, in our brotherhood or our section of the brotherhood, which I guess I'll say our brotherhood because I'm not sure we would have thought the others were our brotherhood. But he divided it because he lost his audience because the people had supported him for years and thinking he was just the best evangelist, the best speaker the world had seen. He makes quite a turn. Well, he didn't change all his beliefs. And it took me a while to realize this too. He still believed in the mutual ministry or mutual edification. It'd be hard to judge it by his church attendance because most of the congregations that practiced mutual edification wouldn't allow him in the church doors. So he ended up worshiping with people who had the preacher system, the clergy system. But he didn't believe in that. He didn't promote it. But it was pretty hard to get those people to accept him because they still knew that he didn't like the clergy system. But that's kind of where he ended up. So there are a lot of interesting things. Well, it just continues today. And I think he actually in some ways, sadly enough, might be more popular today than he's ever been because there are a number of websites that promote his teachings, his writings, he was somewhat prolific in his writing of books, more than any of the other evangelists that we have probably known would have been. And, but don't to spend too much more time on him. But when I think about contending for the faith and think about within the church, it's pretty hard not to think about Catch your side. I first heard about him, I think Tom Woody quoted him in a sermon at Ottawa in 1992. John Lee quoted the same part of his autobiography, Within a couple of weeks. and I can't remember if it was the weeks before or the week after, but it kind of got my attention. And at that point, the part of his autobiography was fairly innocuous. It's about his father's conversion, and his father went from being a coal miner to a, a gospel preacher in next to no time, with next to no education. It was pretty inspiring. The bad part of the story is later that the son does a number of things to um, destroy quite a bit of that effectiveness. This did make me think, too, about 1 Corinthians one twenty-two. Part of Ketcherside's, I guess, selling this to people was only the enlightened people could really understand what he's talking about. He'd be pretty intelligent. You had to have a lot of wisdom to know what he was talking about. And so he tended not to um, encourage some of the more simple members to really try to even accept what he's teaching. But it made me think about 1 Corinthians 1 and 22, Remember when Paul said, for the Jews require a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom, that there's this whole idea that wisdom was what the Greeks were thinking about. And Ketracide was kind of pushing that as well. This is just more than some people can handle. You just have to kind of grow a little bit intellectually to be able to grasp what I'm talking about. And so that's pretty appealing to a lot of people as well, because I think it's part of our pride to want to make us think that we're more intelligent than somebody else. We just we kind of caught on to something that most people aren't ever going to be able to grasp. Well, fortunately, most people we know didn't grab onto these things at all. And it wasn't because they were simple, it's just because they realized that what he was teaching was false teaching. Because they were doing the things you know we thought about earlier. They they were looking at the scriptures, they were comparing what he said to what the Lord said, and they picked the Lord's side as they should have. There were a number of men in those days that were pretty powerful, and Ketcherside's power partly came from a paper that he published, and there were a number of men who had papers they published and they were editors of, and I don't want to say anything about Wade. He's the editor of the Gospel Message, but it's, it was completely different in its design. I want to mention it because actually when it was started, it was actually started kind of in reaction to Catcherside. Roy Loney started the paper, He started it around 1960. And the goal was to try to help the Brotherhood kind of through these episodes, these terrible ordeals they'd had dealing with catcher's And he put this in the January 61 issue of the paper. A religious journal is of little value to the many unless it clearly implies to the reader what one must do to live the Christian life, as well as To what one who is a sinner must do to be saved. To deal with personalities or to promote ideas when they do not deal with God's plan is to defeat the purpose of evangelism and the work of leading souls to Christ. He put this point in because papers have been used for years to do a number of other things, especially in Ketcherside's case. Now I might call this name the evangelist. Any idea who Roy Loney was quoting at that point? Glenn, you can't play. It wasn't Glenn. Well, it was William J. Hensley. This is why I don't do um, many funerals. I don't know why. Mark can kind of get himself cleared up. I'll see what I can do here. But anyway, a lot of these men dealt a lot of issues, and certainly Bill Hensley did too. Another movement where maybe I've heard of, although I'm getting older all the time, the Crossroads Movement, the Boston Movement, that I don't think it qualifies exactly the same way because it was, I think, kind of outside the brotherhood, but it certainly got into the brotherhood pretty early. And it's about the time I became a member of the church or a little bit before. In the 80s, early 90s, you'd hear about this all the time. I still occasionally read something on the Internet or hear something about it, and it, again, was in similar ways to what Ketchiside was teaching that um, just, you know, these things that kind of came in pretty, pretty easily. We have this problem, too, today. We have, the, we have false teachings on the internet. It's so easy to get online and find things that we can look at and, and pick up on. And in the old days, it would have taken quite a bit of driving to find out. You would have had to find a special bookstore somewhere if you could afford the book, and you'd find out about false teachings. Part of the contending we have, I think, today, is contending against ignorance and apathy. I mean, Part of it kind of ties in with what Mark was talking about. We've got to be careful. There's a, I'm afraid there's a lot of ignorance and apathy in the world and sometimes within congregations. This made me think about something someone else wrote, and for the sake of time, I will only read a, a little bit of this. This sounds like it was written today, but it was written some time ago. When you look over the brotherhood and see the utter lack of interest in the salvation of souls and minds of the great mass of the brethren, and consequently... The lack of interest in trying to establish new churches and to strengthen the weak ones does not fill your heart with sadness. If it does not, we would better begin to worry about ourselves. For the, grand, for the great purpose of Christ's coming to this world was to seek and to save that which was lost. goes on through quite a few of these same things. He says, of course, I know that we are living in the age of apostasy and indifference, an age when many people are forsaking what truth they have and are going after the wisdom of men and religion. An age when the spirit of the world has been about quenched the spirit of God in the hearts of so many professed Christians. But nevertheless, I believe that there are great opportunities before the true church of God, if it were just ready to grasp them. Denominationalism is crumbling to pieces, and many people are longing for the old days and the old paths. And up to this point, you would guess that maybe this is written this year, last year. The next sense is going to kind of give this away. I believe that if I can get out with a tent, and with plenty of means behind the work for advertising, can establish several new churches each year and look after them. This is actually written in 1926. The world hasn't changed all that much. We still think we have the same issues to deal with. We do tend to think the world's worse than it was in 1926 easily, but we can see that it was noticeable then, and we keep hearing today the denominational world is crumbling. Well, it may still be crumbling, but we've still have got some of the same issues. This is written by another editor or publisher. This was D. Austin's Summer in the Macedonian Call in 1926. But I thought it was interesting to see that same idea, that same theme that we can easily think about today as we contend for the faith. Because it does seem we're kind of contending with that as well. It's not always just necessarily exactly false teaching. It's just the the zeal that we have. Um, Skipping down quite a ways in his, the quotation for the sake of time. When we look at the people called the Church of Christ, we find the apostolic doctrine, but not the apostolic zeal. Nearly all the denominations have more zeal than the Church of Christ. Though we say that they may have much error and that we have the truth, it seems that the children of error are more zealous than the children of truth. Again, 1926, he recognizes this and puts that in his paper. There are lots of places we could go beyond this. For the sake of time, we won't. But there are a lot of things that we need to be contending about We've seen a lot of congregations. If you've been in the church for a while, been a Christian for a while within the Churches of Christ, you've noticed periods of contentions. You've seen a lot of congregations that weather the storms. We may have seen a few congregations that didn't weather the storms. But it does seem that there is something that needs to be done all the time. We can't wait for someone else to do it. We may may need to step up ourselves and take care of these things. But I think we've all maybe at least heard about some of these problems that we haven't experienced ourselves. It often seems to me it's not a matter of having the um, shield of faith on our arms that we read about in the New Testament, but hearts on our sleeves sometimes. The problems I've seen are more about personality problems. They were never, in most cases, about doctrine. But that wasn't true in the 50s and 60s with your side. We know that each of us needs to walk by faith, need to contend for the truth, contend with and for the faith, but it does take some effort. As I mentioned earlier, you need to be studying. I need to be studying to make sure I know what the truth is. I can't contend for it if I don't understand what it is. It made me think of what Peter responded when Jesus had asked if his disciples were going to leave and everybody else was leaving. In John six sixty eight, remember Peter's response, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. But if we let those words change, if we let their impact change, or if we start teaching something else we won't have the words of of eternal life anymore. We're going to be leading people in the wrong direction. On your own time, I want you to finish up looking at the last part of Jude because it seems that he's dealing with this same idea, of course, and as he concludes his letter here, he talks about building ourselves up on our holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping ourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, having compassion, making a difference saving with fear, pulling them out of fire, all these things we've been thinking about a number of ways, and a lot of these things tie in with um, Mark's lesson as well. Again, a lot of things I could include. I think I'll go ahead and end at that point. I do appreciate your attention. Hopefully um, you found a number of things like I have that I need to continue to um, meditate on. Thank you.